After 14 years, we have over $140 million in cost avoidance. We have 26% usage avoidance since 2008. And we're trying to figure out always more ways to increase those positive numbers. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition hosted by Smart Energy Decisions' own Deborah Channel. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, Deborah digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. everyone. I'm Deborah Channel from Smart Energy Decisions, and I want to welcome you back to Smart Energy Voices. And a special welcome to those who are new to our podcast. I invite you to listen to our entire library of conversations with industry leaders. We've created those to help you make those smart energy decisions. On today's episode, we're happy to welcome Matthew Charon, Vice President of Lobo Energy Incorporated, which is a company owned by the University of New Mexico. And that relationship is a big hint of what this conversation will be about. Can you be a university and an energy company? We'll find out as Matthew explains this innovative business model, as well as the university's $140 million conservation story. So Matthew, welcome. We're happy to have you with us today. Yeah, thank you very much. Let's start at the very beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to this role at Lobo Energy. So I graduated from the University of New Mexico back in 2009. I have a master's degree in business and a undergraduate degree in communication journalism. And I started as what was at the time called an energy conservation specialist. And basically, we were assigned specific roles of the university to try and find energy conservation measures and then implement them. And we were kind of the, a different role than the normal facility manager is we had dedicated focus, just the energy, where you have maintenance who has to kind of fix problems and implement new equipment and engineers who are always designing and trying to upgrade HVAC and lighting in the buildings. We had a specific just focus on energy and figure out where we can save it. And so that's where I started. And then I eventually became the manager of the energy conservation specialist team. And to my current role, I'm vice president of Lobo Energy, and we do different utility projects for the University of New Mexico. We handle all the rate cases for whenever our, our local utility provider tries to increase our rates. And we also still run that measurement and verification program, which I think has been a true success story for the university. So what is it about the higher energy landscape? particularly at the University of New Mexico, that made this idea and this partnership possible? Well, the way that Lobo Energy was created, we're a 501c3 owned wholly by the Board of Regents of the University of New Mexico. And we fall under the University Research and Economic Park Act. And basically, legislation allowed higher education to create nonprofit organizations to help with specific economic, sustainable, a ton of other different metrics of possibilities in the university. And we have a a district energy plant on main campus. We create 
from natural gas our own chill water, electricity, and steam, and we send it out to all the buildings on main campus and north campus. But before we were able to implement a district energy system, you know, we created a master utility plan. This was way before my time. And we just didn't have money to implement it. And from what I understand, there was infrastructure failure at the university main hospital. And we needed to quickly make sure that we had a reliable and more efficient system to help with making sure there was energy to the hospital. And so they created Lobo Energy. And the best way I can describe us, if the University of New Mexico is the big giant cruise ship, we're the small sailboat that goes out and tries to lead them during a specific way. And we have a little bit different procurement options compared to the university. So we were able to make decisions quicker, get it approved in a much faster way so we didn't lose all the operational efficiency that you would typically have to do through a normal procurement process. And so we took out a loan for our district energy system, and we added some cogens. We've done some lighting upgrades. We've done boiler upgrades and chill water upgrades, lighting upgrades throughout the whole campus. So it's kind of where we started to fit in in this energy conservation story. It's still the success of the University of New Mexico, but we're just kind of helping drive with different projects and financing options. Okay. So first of all, I mentioned at the beginning that $140 million savings, which was, that's an attention getting number. When did you start to see the measurable success and the results of this plan, this Lobo Energy plan? Yeah. So the good thing, well, let me first just say that it's $140 million cost avoidance. Savings is a little bit different. We don't have that money in a drawer ready to spend it on stuff. It's just money that we didn't have to pay the utility company, right? And so after Lobo Energy and the University of New Mexico really invested in the infrastructure of our district energy system, they also put in some smart metering. And so Lobo Energy primarily takes all those meet or we have submeters at every single building, and we take all that data and we put it in a database. For us, it's energy cap. I know there's a lot of other different softwares out there that do the same thing, but we've been using energy cap for 14 years. And we look at the data on kind of a monthly basis to see, are the energy conservation specialists who are going out there trying to find measures to implement in the buildings, are we seeing success on a monthly basis? So we compare the data from this last month to the same month in the previous year and back to our baseline year, which was back in 2007, 2008. And so we've been doing this for 14 years. The team, we have a lot of the same people. I guess that speaks to everybody likes what they're doing (laughs) at at Lobo Energy. That's helpful. That is helpful. And so they really understand the buildings. They know the occupancy. They know the people in the buildings. They understand where we need to put some zero to low cost measures of energy conservation and where we need just kind of a big infrastructure upgrade. And so it's kind of like you wake up and you do the same routine every day where you get on and we have online systems that help us figure out through the data where we might be using more energy. They walk through the buildings and mechanical rooms on a weekly basis and try to figure out where there's leaks or smells or available opportunities to implement some type of strategy. And so the $140 million in cost avoidance has been really a community effort. So if 
the energy conservation specialists for Lobo Energy, we're kind of like the eyes and ears of the university and for the maintenance department and engineering, I should say. So we take the data, we tell them what we're seeing, we do an audit, and then we communicate that effort to the right personnel, right? Whether that's a maintenance guy who we tell the, one of the chill water valves isn't working, or whether it's an engineer saying, hey, we could really put some lighting controls over here and it would save some energy, even though they're already kind of tasked with doing that. People in the building saying, hey, you know what? You left that door open and all the air conditioning is going straight out, right? So there's a lot of behavior aspects of it as well that we try to change, but we're really looking for nickels and dimes. We let the engineers, facility management, the planning department come up with like the big giant upgrades, but those end up being more low-hanging fruit that we can take advantage of. We take care of all the schedules on the main campus and North campus so that when people leave the building, we're actually reducing the energy when nobody's there and then having it come back up before they're back in the morning so that it's comfortable. One of the biggest things we always try to tell people is that we're not trying to turn the lights off on you and we're not trying to make it super hot in your building in the middle of summer. The university has to get work done and students have to be comfortable. We're just saying if you're not using that energy, let's the best way to help the environment is to not use energy in general. And that's the cheapest investment, in my opinion, as well. So that's kind of where after 14 years, we have over $140 million in cost avoidance. We have 26% usage avoidance since 2008. And we're trying to figure out always more ways to increase those positive numbers. I love that you said it was a community effort. It's really interesting. I think anyone in the business knows this. You make a plan and you implement it. And then it's almost like it's an iterative process. You've got to keep going back and measure and this changed. We have to react to it. Or, or like you said, the air conditioning is going out the window. We have to, you know, adjust to that. So it's a constant, you know, you're always monitoring. You're always looking for the next opportunity. Oh, absolutely. And the longer that we've actually been doing this, the more buy-in we've had from the community as well. So we'll get phone calls saying, hey, you know, we saw these lights were on when we got in in the morning. Maybe we need to go check on the controls to see if they need to be configured differently. Or we have custodians who are always helping with turning off lights, finding issues also, and communicating to us. So facility management and our utilities are definitely the backbone of this. We can't get any of this stuff fixed without them. But the people in the buildings have to have buy-in. They have to communicate correctly. And without that community support, it would have taken us a lot longer to see some of these accomplishments. And, you know, at first, a lot of people thought we were just, like I said, there to make them uncomfortable and turn off the lights. And But as we've reported more savings or cost avoidance, and we've communicated those savings to the people in the buildings, to the president, to the people who had a, their own energy conservation initiative, and they got to see that it actually did make a difference, we've gotten more buy-in. And now we're just kind of part of the university, even though we're technically not, but we are part of the university as a team perspective. I want to dig in a little bit more on this communicating with the community, with the you know all stakeholders at the university and the importance of telling that story. And I have to say you are uniquely qualified to do that with your undergrad degree in communications and journalism and then the master's in business. You've got both sides of it. So that must be very helpful as you're trying to tell this story internally. 
what does that communication look like? Is there, I mean, is it as simple as a newsletter or, you know, how are you making people aware on the campus of what's going on and their part in helping these conservation efforts? Well, there's a part that we've done really well, and there's a part that we're trying to improve on right now. The part that we've done really well is that, you know, our energy conservation specialists are going through the buildings, they're talking with people, they're reporting numbers to the people in the building so that they realize that their efforts aren't, are being tracked and they aren't being just dismissed and showing a real positive correlation with the behavior that they're doing and what we're actually seeing from a monetary and a usage avoidance perspective. So we've been, you know, going through these buildings for 14 years. People see us. So that communication has been there and hopefully will continue to stay for a long time. Now, just for like students or the outer reach community, we're really trying to improve on that aspect of it. So right now we're trying to implement dashboards in our student union building, possibly in our student residence life area, because students are really interested in what their university is trying to do from a climate change perspective. One of the top three things that millennials or I guess Gen Zs tend to be kind of afraid of is the climate change, right? And whether it's going to affect them as much. It's really important to them that they go to a higher education that actually focuses on the things that they want also in their life. And so they're really kind of driving, you know, some of this new sustainability initiatives that we're trying to implement at the University of New Mexico. And we have to figure out ways to communicate that them when they're on the campus and before they even decide which college they want to go to. So we're trying with different things. We, you know, we've done newsletters, we have Facebook, we have Instagram posts and stuff like that. But I think for me, one of the best things would be to start utilizing the dashboard. Yes, we're using more energy by doing that. But we're also, that message is kind of the key part of keeping sustainability initiatives alive and making sure everybody is in a, a really happy place for them on campus, right? So that's kind of what we're trying to incorporate right now. It's something we've heard before from other higher ed institutions that the students really agitate almost for this, these kind of conservation efforts and the, you know, climate change is so, you know, so front of mind for them. And to hear that it's being used as a recruiting tool is very interesting because I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, we have students come up to us all the time and say, why don't we have any solar on campus? I said, actually, we do. We got 11 buildings with solar panels. It's just they don't see them because the buildings are pretty high up. And so we need to make them aware just of, of all the great things that the University of New Mexico has already been doing. You know, we have have almost 30 lead buildings. We have 11 or 12 solar systems. We have $140 million in cost avoidance. We have a lot of water savings, recycle bins all over the place. And unless we're communicating that to our people in our community, it's always going to be like, well, why aren't you doing enough? Why aren't you doing more? Like, well, we're actually doing a lot. And so we need to create this whole sustainability umbrella over the entire university and have everybody kind of feed that and get under that umbrella so that we're more of a collective team than everybody kind of doing their own individual effort. No, that's great. And again, telling the story, we obviously smart energy decisions, that's a big push for us. We want to help tell the stories, but you've got to tell it internally as well as externally that we're, we're hearing that more and more as well. 
Mm-hmm. And I think just one more part with the measurement and verification. I was told once that the data actually tells a story to whoever's looking at it, right? So unless you are monitoring what's actually happening in your buildings and then trying to go out there and see if it's working or if you need to fix something, you know, that's a story that you need to focus on. Otherwise, you're going to miss it. It's going to go right past you and you're not going to know if you're saving energy or if people are going to be involved you know, if their efforts are worth it. So. Okay. I want to change direction a little bit. You, this has been, I mean, this is a great set of accomplishments that you have, but it couldn't have been this straightforward. There have to have been some obstacles along the way. So tell us some of that. Tell us, you know, what some of the issues were and how you overcame them. Well, you know, for the university financing was definitely a part of it. So that's kind of where we came in and were able to go out and do kind of our own ESCO. We went out and Lobo Energy got the loan for the cogens, which helped create the electricity and heat the buildings from the wasted heat and a more reliable, efficient system than using traditional coal fire plants. And so we were able to go out, get the loan for that, and then pay it off with our future energy savings. And with some of, we're trying to do another kind of ESCO, much smaller scale on our South Campus right now where we also get a loan, do some energy conservation measure upgrades, and then pay back with future energy savings. You know, we've looked at PPAs also, and we've looked at buying it ourselves, right, and seeing where it is. So, you know, I think one of the thing is, like, the great thing that University of New Mexico did is we didn't start small and say, oh, we can't afford that, we can't do this. We tried to figure out how do we get this. We Instead of being a roadblock, which a lot of universities and people at the universities tend to be, you have to be kind of a bridge and figure out the best way to actually get it down instead of just saying, nope, we're not going to do that, let's just move on, right? So that's from kind of like the bigger projects that we've done. From the energy conservation program or the measurement and verification program, you know, it took a lot of people didn't like us being there. They didn't think we were a part of the university. They didn't kind of understand the whole role of global energy. And so we had to basically not go away and constantly go there and show them the feedback, show them reports that their efforts were actually helping save energy and money on campus, which the state of New Mexico has been traditionally kind of a poorer state. We haven't got the best funding and research, just like a lot of other research or universities around the U.S., right? And so what helped, like I said at the very beginning, is the dedicated focus to energy. So once the maintenance team, the engineers, the people in the buildings realized we weren't in there to, I guess, get anybody in trouble or tell on anybody for not saving energy, and that we were actually there kind of like as a bridge to help communicate some issues, what we're seeing can we get this fixed? People started buying into our program. And like I said, now people call us when they see issues and they want to get them resolved because it's just kind of like instilled in the university community. So from the measurement and verification program, you know, it was just a constant buy-in that we had to relay and communicate to the university community. Okay. So that leads me to another question. You've talked about, you know, the community aspect and the leadership at the university. Who have been the most essential partners in getting these programs up and running? Well, facility management, our maintenance, our engineers, custodians, landscape. Without them, you know, we wouldn't be able to fix any of the issues that we see on a mechanical, 
on a lighting stance. We, you have to have their buy-in if you want to be able to actually make any true change. And then the utility, they're called Ford Utilities, and our microgrid on campus, the people who run that building, they didn't give us the measurement and verification tools to be able to pull data. We wouldn't have been able to measure it. And sometimes you might put in an effort and you have no idea whether, if you don't have you know, a scale when you're trying to lose weight, how do you know if you're actually losing weight? Yeah, you can assume. Well, it's the same thing for energy conservation. Unless you're actually seeing that what you did is saving energy, then you're not going to know. And there's a lot of instances where, you know, an engineer might put in a new BAS system where they can see all the buildings, HVAC online and make changes. And then they kind of just walk away and they didn't realize that we're actually using more energy than we were before that new system was put in. And so we're saying, hey, something's not working out right here. And we give them the information, then they do their own audit and say, oh, yeah, well, we need to put schedules here. You know, this valve is 100% open all the time at nighttime. So it's without their buy-in, though, and them willing to listen to us and realize that we're part of the team, then we wouldn't be able to get any of this done. And then, you know, having uh, upper administration that is really supportive of sustainability initiatives and is trying to implement their own stuff, it proves wonders for us being integrated into the university. So I really give our upper administration a lot of credit for, you know, being proactive, listening to what the students and the community wants to do, and really supporting our goals. It's community support in all directions, from the top down, from the students. I don't want to say they're on the bottom, but the bottom up. That's great. That's encouraging to hear. So we're almost out of time. I have a couple more questions. We're going to take the long view on something. You know, you've been in this industry for a while. So what do you see as some of the most important developments in terms of sustainability since you've been in this area? I mean, definitely adding more type of renewable projects. So we're trying to figure out different ways to do that on South Campus, maybe some solar. We're looking at possibly doing some geothermal for Maine and North Campus and changing out from natural gas completely being about 85 to 90 percent carbon neutral. We have some utility planning that and upgrades that we need to do, and the campus is always expanding. And so we this might be the perfect time for us to transition from natural gas to geothermal. So not saying it's going to happen, but we're working on a plan that hopefully gets taken very seriously by the legislation and the Albuquerque community. And so there's that aspect. There's also, I think we kind of touched on this, some of the marketing part of sustainability, right? We have all these entities that are doing so many things around the campus, but nobody knows about it. And we have to relay that message a lot better than what we've done in the past. So focusing on student areas, focusing on faculty and staff and seeing what we're doing from a composting, recycling, air travel, what is our scope one, two, and three emissions, right? And so we obviously have scope one and two, and we've had it for a long time, but scope three takes a little bit more effort to collect more data. And we have to also figure out a place to store that data. So we recently with Energy Cap bought a new part of which they own called Carbon Hub. And this is for scope one, two, and three emissions. We can easily 
implement data once we get that process on our own side figured out. We can put the data into Carbon Hub and it'll automatically tell us our emissions. So that's what we're working on right now. We also purchased a, another thing called Wadex from Energy Cap, which is more of an analytical tool. So it'll tell us if there's more where there are issues at a faster rate than what we're currently doing so that we can hopefully go out there and fix the issue. Or we can see if that energy conservation measure is actually working faster too. So we're typically seeing data come in on a monthly basis, but if we can get it to an hourly basis or a daily basis, now we can fix issues a lot quicker and potentially save more energy. So the communication part, faster processes, and definitely looking at different types of renewable energy so that the community knows that we're making an effort. So no slowing down for you. (laughs) There's a lot going on, (laughs) but that's great. And the last question, again, it seems like certain factors came together at the university and with the legislation in the area to have the Lobo Energy model work. That might not work in other places, but what's your big piece of advice for anyone looking to create energy conservation or renewable energy or a sustainability strategy? I know that's a lot, but what's the first step or what's your advice for what they should be looking at? Well, you need good communication and you need a good team. And I think you should never try to limit yourself to what you potentially think is too expensive. You can always come up with your goals and your list of how to reach those goals and then work your way down and see what you can implement now or what's in the future and then try to figure out different options, right? But I think creating tactical teams within your sustainability or energy plan that are focusing on here's water, here is energy, here is recycling, here is this, and then meeting and holding those people accountable on a monthly basis and giving the credit out to those people as well, not taking any credit for yourself is really important. So I think creating the right team and strategies is obviously the first target of your sustainability goals. And then once you create those goals, you just have to separate it into tactical teams and trust your people to do the right job and and make sure that they're doing it. That is a great starting point and not an easy one, but you're right. No more silos in this world that can't operate that way. It's the communication that comes down to that. You pick the right degree as an undergrad. It all comes back to communications. Well, Matthew Charon, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. This is a great conversation. we got a lot of information on a new business model that people might want to think about. So thank you again for being with us. And to our listeners, we want to thank you as always for engaging with this content and for being part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. And if you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, tell your colleagues and peers about it. And to learn about how you can become part of our next event, visit our website at smartenergydecisions.com. We're excited about sharing these conversations with the leaders of the energy transition. And we do it through this podcast on our website at all our events. And it's all in the interest of helping you make those smart energy decisions. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. 
To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit SmartEnergyDecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. 